Well, good morning and welcome to Watershed. Um, we're glad that you're here. So we're going to continue with our series talking about hope. So we sang Song of Hope, reminding us of the hope that, that brings us salvation, heaven coming down to earth. And um, we invite you to stand and find someone that you can greet and make feel welcome here. So we're going to continue our worship with the second week of our Advent candle, and we invite Lisa and John to come up to the front. Uh, we're going to do a reading, and then we light two candles this week, uh, two purple candles, reminding us of the joy and the hope. Yep. All right. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged place as a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all of the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And as we continue worshiping, we invite you to sing with us.
was also a child of Rahab. God's scandalous grace poured out for you and me. The long-expected Savior grew near and unexpected.
Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. a seat and we'd like to invite all the children up through third grade to come over with Miss Lori over to this corner here for Children's Church. Morning friends. Hi everybody. I see that Michigan jersey. <laughs> Morning, friends. Doing good? Yeah? All right, let's pray together before you head out. God, above all else, we lift you up and praise you because you are a God who loves us and is with us in the middle of our celebrations and joys, as well as in our sorrows and sadness. But that good news that you're with us, uh, Lord, you're with, with our children as well that you welcome them, you're a God who welcomes them to you, and you're a God who runs to them 
and loves them. And so we pray as they go off now that, that God, they would know how much you do love them and how much you are with them. So God, speak to them, lead them as you're leading us, and may they know and grow in your love for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. All right, so our next song is, is going to get us prepared to receive God's word. Um, but this is a, an Advent favorite from a couple years ago that needs to be big. So I'm going to invite you to stand up again, use your biggest voices as we sing peace as
Well, good morning, everyone. Wow. Well, good morning. <laughs> All right. Thanks for getting out of bed. Uh, it's good to be with y'all this morning. Um, again, I'm Pastor Aaron. Uh, it's my blessing to be campus pastor here at Watershed, part of this great community of Heart Oike. Um, so one of, the, one of the neat things coming up here at Heart Oike in February is a DR mission trip, a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. Uh, we've got a small community of people who are heading out and getting ready. So um, since most of us haven't signed up for that trip, we can help support them at least, and um, help them out as they're getting ready to go, uh, as they're getting ready to do some work and to serve others. Uh, there's a pie sale that is finishing up on December 8th, uh, but if you're interested in some pies, uh, you can contact the office. And then there's also Pigs in the Blanket. How many of you love Pigs in the Blanket? Come on now, right? Like, so there's Pigs in the Blanket. There's a whole freezer full of them, and I believe that's going on through like Christmas. So you know you've got parties coming up, you've got family in town, you've got all kinds of reasons for pigs in the blanket, uh, and you know now where you can get them. So uh, if you want to help support the DR mission trip, that is a great way uh, that you can do that. And then, uh, as always, too, if there is any way that you want to connect, uh, you need prayers, or uh, two, to be able to give, you can text that word to the number here on this screen, uh, most of the time, that'll take you to just a little bit of a little form uh, to, to fill out, help us know who, who you are, first off. But then we can connect with you. Um, we can get prayers out. So uh, speaking of prayers uh, today, I want to first lift up um, Plagmar's uh, family and passing of Jerry. Uh, unexpectedly, Friday morning, um, Jerry and Shelly are part of our celebration community, um, Brandon uh, stepson and um, his brother Barry are part of our Heart Alike family as well. Um, so, in just complete unexpected uh, loss, we want to just continue to lift them up. Uh, we want to continue to. Uh, if you got the the email this week to the ePray, we want to be praying for Helene as uh, she's got some health issues coming up and a lot of unknowns at the moment. Be praying for them, the Van Campens, uh, in the midst of that. Uh, folks, and there are just so many more uh, things that we can be praying for, but um, as, as part of our family, we want to continue to lift them up in prayer. So, if you will, join me in prayer this morning. God, we just sang a song, Peace Has Come. We lit a candle talking about your peace. God, uh, you called me today to preach on your peace and hope. Sometimes it's really hard to be focused on those words, to be hopeful, um, and to have a peace in us, because the world, Lord, dulls out things that are just unthinkable, sometimes incomprehensible. God, we are reminded of that this morning with Jerry's passing, when we're completely surprised by death. We know death is part of our story and it wasn't supposed to be. Or we know that death is a tool that Satan uses to try to separate us from you. And he does a pretty good job of it, God. Because it's in those moments that we, we, we are. We're, we're at a loss and we're weak and we're, we become disheartened. Um, 
in our grief, Lord, it, it, it spirals down so often. Uh, that's, that's the story of humanity. It's, it's our story. God, remind us, though, that in our grief, you grieve with us. Our peace and our hope isn't anchored in, Lord, the, the, that being able to answer the why, Lord, because we can't. It's not in the fact that, that, that death, sickness, Lord, uh, we, th- we think about Helene this morning. We think about Sean as she batter, battles cancer. And, Lord, I, others who are dealing with other illnesses and, and issues. God, it, our hope isn't in there. Our peace isn't there. But, God, our peace is in the fact that you will not, and we're going to hear that again this morning, you will not let what we're going through win. You showed us that when you rose from the dead. You gave your life for us so that we would would be at peace with you and find peace in you. Not so that all of a sudden we're, we're void of all of these struggles. Lord, that's not possible this side of your kingdom. And we do pray this morning, God, that you would come because we're tired of what sin does. We're tired of what death is and what the disease is and the brokenness in the world. It, it gets tired. It makes us long for you to come. But Lord, what we're reminded of is you do show up. You have showed up. You will show up again at just the right time to renew and restore all things. But in the middle of our stories, in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the muck, in the mire, you continue to still show up. You continue to give us the breath that we breathe. You continue to give us strength when we don't know how. You continue to help clear away things in our minds that that get us tripped up. You continue to give us a a spirit, a resolve, and a power to keep going. You somehow give us, uh, Lord, uh, an outlook that's beyond the moment. But Lord, we cannot do that ourselves. This is why we pray, God, we look to you who has more power, more strength than we do. Because if we were left to ourselves, we would be hopeless. But we haven't been. You've come. So God, thank you for coming. Thank you for promising that you will return. And thank you for continuing to come in our moments each and every day. Lord, we pray that you will continue to just keep showing up in ways, Lord, that we need you to. And God, we pray this morning that you'd show up through your word, that you'd speak to us, that you'd clear away the things that keep us from listening and hearing that from me, you clear away the things that keep me from being clear to presenting your word, Lord, as it should be not as I think it needs to be. So Lord, speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Lead us this morning. And again, thank you that you are with us, that you have come, and you will continue to come in our lives and will come again. God, we pray these things in many more prayers in the name of Jesus and all God's children said, amen. Amen. Thanks, Sam. Right on, buddy. <laughs> wow, we're getting charismatic now. <laughs> Out of way, bud. 
So uh, we started last week an Advent series, and Advent is a time of, of waiting and anticipation and expectation. It's a season where we look again, we remember what it was like for Christ to come in the world. We reflect on Christmas, right, and Jesus, the need for Jesus to come. We also, though, anticipate Christ coming again and renewing and restoring the world, finishing what he started Throughout this series, we're, we're talking about the genealogy of Jesus, 17 verses in the Bible that we might actually fly by, and we're instead going to spend four weeks on. And because, I, I think it's worth noting, and hopefully you'll see today too, saw last week, that, that these stories that we see, these names, aren't simply names on a, a page. That these, these names, these people are part of Jesus's story and not just Jesus's story, God's story for us and for humanity. And it's in this genealogy that we can see that there is hope. That the overarching message for this whole series is that there is a hope. It's not a wish. It's not a whim. It's not anchored in something that, that is an idea somewhere off in the distance. No, it's a hope grounded in a reality. Last week we talked about and we looked at the promise of Christ the Messiah, the anointed one, the appointed one of God, all throughout the whole of Scripture. That from the very beginning, God promised that he would come to solve the curse, to, to save humanity. And he will one day then re come and restore all of humanity. But our hope is anchored in the reality of the one who has lived, who has died, but has been also resurrected to life. And that life can bring us new life. Today we're going to talk about that Jesus came at just the right time, that God's timing was perfect. In that, uh, this is the season where we're, um, I don't know, maybe some of you are already done and heeded all the warning of, warnings of supply chain issues. Yeah, we love hearing that one, right? Uh, but, but, you know, if you're still like me and you're doing some shopping, anybody still? Yeah, yeah. Timing is everything at the moment, isn't it? Right, so I was shopping for a new router for my house, right, and, and I'm, I'm stepping into the world of small business systems because I'm going to nerd out on VLANs and firewalls and all kinds of stuff. So, so I go to Ubiquity's website. Oh, I just named who I'm working with, right? And I'm supposed to get this Dream Machine Pro. Well, the Dream Machine Pro is out of stock all the time because when you're trying to not just deal with consumers who like this stuff, but businesses too. Everybody needs one. Well, they're having a problem like some people, you know, in getting these chips, right? Anybody yeah, hear that? Right? So right before Thanksgiving. Now, this wasn't Black Friday. This wasn't Thanksgiving. This was like two days before. I don't know if this was their genius or what. I don't know. However, there was this window, right? Because I got a church every day. It's out of stock, out of stock. All of a sudden, I'm sitting there. It's like 8.30 at night. What does it say? In stock by now. <laughs> the world is right and good. Kendra, can I? Absolutely. Click. Three days later, I'm searching for Christmas presents on Amazon. And I'm not saying for who. And I'm not saying what it is. My children are probably going, come on, Dad. Come on. And guess what happens? What's in stock? Not, I, I got my router. But the present. <gasps> what did I click? All is right. I'm just, I'm just telling you, all is right in the world. 
right? That perfect timing, isn't it? I mean, there's a moment when, when things seem to work just right, when you're right moment, right time, everything's there. there. Isn't there this sense of, like, victory? There's this sense of, like, accomplishment. There's a sense of all is right. But here's the reality. Most of our life isn't that, is it? Right, where timing doesn't work isn't what we thought or expected Timing makes us wonder, is God going to show up? Is he going to be there for me? Is he on time? Or maybe God's running a little late in this moment. Well, Matthew has a message for us in the genealogy this morning. And it's one where God had perfect timing in Christ coming into the world. That perfect timing leads us to trust a perfect timing that will be one day when he returns But hopefully in understanding and seeing this perfect timing of what has been and what will be, we'll understand that God still is showing up too in the middle of our moments and cares. So I want to bring us again to a genealogy. As I shared last week, I'm not going to read the whole genealogy every week, but I'm going to read bits and pieces uh, that connect to what we're talking about. So starting Matthew 1, the first page of the New Testament, if you're following along in your Bibles, We hear this, starting in verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. We jump forward to verse 6. And then there was Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. King David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. We jump forward from there to verse 11. And Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. We jump down to verse 16. And Jacob then was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, From Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exiled Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is God's word for us this morning. Thanks be to God. So we think about what Matthew is doing here in the genealogy, and what I just read is he marked particular moments in Israel's history, particular key moments. For them to have Abraham, he was the start of the Jewish people. Actually, next week we're going to dive a little more into what that all means. But Abraham was the start of the story of Judaism, of the Israelites, the people of God. So, pretty important moment. From Israel, then, we have King David, who was the king of kings. Right? He's the one, as we talked about last week, he's the one who the promise was to come to. It was King David's line that the Messiah would sit on. And be a king in. It was King David's line that would last forever. There would be a kingdom that would reign forever and ever. But then there was this moment in Israel's history where all had been lost. Where they had gotten lost. They had missed the mark over and over again. Where kings had, had, some kings had done well, but most of them had missed it. Had led them off into ways. And so God brings them into exile. There's discipline for God's people. Why? So that they would return to him, that they would know God as their true king. 
that they would understand and that there would be peace again amongst God's people so they could live into Abraham's blessing for them to bless the world. Well, after the exile, what does Matthew say? Then there were 14 generations to who? Right, this promised, appointed Jesus. Well, this morning, one of the first things I want to look at in this is that number 14. And, and before we dive into exactly what that could be, uh, I want to just talk about genealogies, because it's really important for us as we look at Matthew's genealogy. And if you're like me and want to dig into it even further, you're going to find out that 14 isn't like actually the number of all of the generations in between. So why would Matthew do that? That doesn't make sense to us. And in a world that is post-enlightenment and like exactness determines whether or not something is true, like we'd go, well, that's not true, so we must not be able to listen to it. Well, that would be our Western way of thinking about things and not an early Eastern way of thinking about things. For them, a genealogy had nothing to do with exactness per se as much as it had to do with who you were in relationship with, and not only who you were in relationship with, but how that relationship made a different point, had a purpose. So maybe that relationship, and Matthew's a tax, collect, a tax collector, so as a tax collector, they were good at tracking genealogies because that relationship was on, based on how much taxes you were going to pay. Yay! <laughs> Right? So he was really good at keeping track of those things. Why? Because he wanted to fudge the bills even more than what they were. But he needed to have a baseline. Right? For others, that genealogy, that history, that lineage was, was to prove that you should be a priest. For others, you were royalty. Right? It was all about relationship and standing. There was a purpose there. But Matthew, Matthew says there's a whole other purpose, though, in this, in this purpose that he's writing about, and the use of his 14s was, again, to bring us back to David. 14, if you follow along in some of Jewish culture, they have uh, what's, what's called the gematria, and that's a system of putting numbers to letters. So the name David, Vav, or Dalit Vav Dal, so, and by the way, um, read it that way. You got to read right to left in Hebrew. So that was fun learning, by the way. But David, 464, four, adds up to what? Quick math. 14, right? That maybe Matthew is using something that, that some of his readers, some of his listeners who are Jewish, he's writing primarily to a Jewish audience, would go, oh yeah, like 14, 14, 14. Ooh, highlighter. Son of David. <gasps> Remember what we talked about last week? Promise fulfilled. Right? Maybe that's his point. Well, think about 14s as well. And there's another number that's important in Jewish heritage and history, and that's seven. Seven is a number of completeness. And how many, when we add up 14, 14, 14, we have six sevens. So all of a sudden, seven Jesus is the seventh seven. Why would that be important? Well, let me cue you into something that's important for today. First, seven is, seven is a number not only of completeness, but it's the number of the Sabbath, the seventh day, which was for them, really, it was a first day. It kind of depends on where you put it, but it was a day of rest. 
It was a day where people rested from their work, rested from their labors, that the world around them got to rest because God rested. Well, not only that, but then the seventh year, the seven period chunk, there was supposed to be a year of rest. And fields were supposed to be able to take a break. There was supposed to be some, uh, again, some, some recovery of some debt and things like that. A little bit more rest, more fully. Not just something one day could have, but we need every now. How many of you would like to have just a, a break from life once every seven years? Right? Amen. Good times. Woo. But then there's a seventh seven. And that's called the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, the time of Jubilee, which Jesus is coming into in this moment of, for Matthew, is a time of shalom, of peace. Not just rest, but there would now be recovery. Those who were in prison would be free. Those who had, were enslaved could, be, could have their own life again, where things were given back if you had lost family's property. But there would be sort of this reset, this restart, and there would be this time, this space where Everything was set right. Matthew's doing something this morning. He keeps pointing us back to what? Jesus. That this moment, whether it's 14 and it's a gematria, it's, a, it's, it's numbering it that way, whether he's doing seven sevens, I don't know. I can't answer that. Nobody has answered that for us. Matthew doesn't answer it for us. But the point of a genealogy is this. He's making a point. And again, his point is this. Jesus is the promised Messiah who's come. This is the time. And we picked it up in, this up in Galatians. In both Galatians and in Romans, Paul writes this. But when the fullness of time came, we're going to actually look at this passage again next week. But when the fullness of time, when time had been filled up, when, imagine my glass here, that's got about a third of coffee left. After the service, I'm going to fill it up, right? Because I'm going to need another cup, right? Time had filled up. It reached the brim. This was when God sent his son, right? This was the moment in history that God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might, what, redeem those who were under the law, take those back, who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. That Jesus would restore us to God. Paul picks up in Romans 5 and says, you see, at just the right time. This is a little different word for time, not just chronos time, but this is the appointed time. At this particular moment, planned by God, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ came into the world for us at just the right time. Well, seeing as how we deal with genealogies, we deal with history, I want to look at that moment in history. I wonder if there's something about that moment in history that God was at work doing something and bringing Jesus into the world. You know, it, it, it hadn't been that God left all of the generations before. No, actually, if we follow all of those stories, God showed up in every one of their lives. But why this moment for Jesus to come into the world? So we're going to dive into some history some Greco-Roman worlds and origins. We're going back to pre-zero, okay? 
This is from the time of what we might think of very simplistically, 0 to 400 B.C. or B.C.E. as you're hearing, you hear in school, right? But in this time, the Greek Empire had come into play. Alexander the Great, had, basically they had conquered the world. And with Alexander the Great, he brought with uh, this message of Hellenism. Hellenism was a mixing of Greek culture into your culture. So it's cool, you keep your culture, this is great, but we, want, we bring something as Greeks into your world that you want to mesh in and meld. Right? They became the melting pot of the world. But Hellenism brought with it a, a shift. There was a shift in sort of global thinking. Up until this time, gods were central to the whole story. So depending on where you grew up, you had different gods. Those gods were how you ordered your life, right? This was, this was important and key. However, with Hellenism, there was this, this shift. It was a subtle shift because they still had gods, but they diminished gods from being central and said, you are. As a human being, me is the center of the world. And then the gods are there to serve me, and the gods for the Greeks were kind of dumb, and then uh, sometimes then the gods would come down and, and connect with, with a human. And humans were kind of smart because if it's about me, I'm smart. Gods are dumb. So we take the power of the god, we put it together with the smarts of a human being. And what do you have? A demigod. Right? But for them, though, Hellenism was exactly what we see on the screen. There was this unity and a message now and a mindset of a gospel, a euangelion, Right? Gospel is not a, a biblical term. Nope, we ripped it off. Okay? We ripped it off from the Greeks. They, they pass it around. The good news that he said is you be you, you do you. Right? The good news is you are center to the world. And then Alexander does what? He sets up four key pillars to continue to perpetuate this message. Not just perpetuate the message, but keep you connected to the state as well. So the first was education. And with education, it'd be that, that, that advancement, that, that drive to, to, to get better, to become something more, aspiration. And it fed on that part of all of us, right? We have this aspiration, this drive to be something more, want something more. So they use education to do that, but also education to keep spreading this message. It's not about the gods, it's about you. And not only that, then creating a healthcare system. How many of us want to be healthy, right? Yeah. But that healthcare system made you dependent upon the state. And in being dependent upon the state, they could again then control. But that was comfort and well-being. And so there's good pieces of it, but there were other pieces that, that, that basically caused it to be misused. He also knew that we like entertainment. Ooh, yeah. All right. How many of you watched the game last night? How many of us love entertainment and athletics, right? Then you get the marriage of both. Right? And they had the theater was a way that we could continue to perpetuate this message of you be you, you do you. You are at the center of the world, not the gods. Right? And then in athletics, we, we create a tribalism that exists. Right? It's our region versus your region. And then uh, you know how we got the Olympics? Anyone? The Greeks? Hey, hey. <laughs> Okay, so he perpetuates this message, but then Alexander gets run over. The Greeks lose to Rome, and Rome is known for the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. 
because Rome steps in, carries forth that message, continues that message, but then continues to expand the world underneath this one banner, right? And they do that by continuing to develop roads, and they expand communities, and and what they did, they picked up on like Alexander did. If we just kind of leave you alone and don't mess with you, let you kind of feel like you're ruling your own world, We'll, we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll be around, but, but we let you feel like you're in charge. You're going to be aligned to us, and you'll be with us. And Rome was brilliant, as such as the Greeks were, in being able to say, if we can just convince you that you're in charge of your world, and yet still make you dependent upon us, we're in. And underneath Rome, not only was there now a unified message and worldview of how we live, but there was a unified banner. So the the secular world, when Jesus comes into it, is really, for the most part, unified under a message of me and under one empire. So what about God's then people. What, what was going on in God's people? Because that is not the message. We have one king. We still believe that God is central to the story. We have one God that we serve, and we align our lives to him. This doesn't make sense. And by the way, we're tired of being run over by people. And, and again, I put up on the sermon blog, if you go to our, our website, uh, there's great podcasts. Um, Joe, I'm throwing, Joe put me on to um, actually a couple of years ago now, but a uh, great series of podcasts if you want to dive in way deeper than what I am now, right? Go listen to those. But in the Jewish community, in, the, in, in God's people, do we have a unified people? No, actually we have an incredibly fat, fractured and separated people. This fractured and separated people isn't already, isn't just dispersed because they are dispersed all over the Roman Empire but they're fractured within their own understanding, in their own ideals. The first community that we see are the spiritual leaders, the priests. They were put back in charge of the Jewish community after, uh, by the way, the Maccabean revolt of the Seleucids, who, who had come and in, in, in the, the king had basically murdered a pig on the altar of God, which is complete sacrilege, but we won't... Folks, this is so hard this morning for me to not go down little rabbit trails. <laughs> nonetheless, see, you know, I geek out on this stuff. So, <laughs> But they were, nonetheless, the spiritual leaders, the priests, were put in power after the Maccabean re- revolt, which we hear of as Hanukkah. Aha, uh-huh, so more history. But nonetheless, they're put in power by these zealots, these Maccabees, who are like, yeah, the priests are supposed to rule. And there's a great part. We have spiritual leaders. We also know in the church that there's a priesthood of all believers. However, we still, again, have people who are leading us and guiding us, right? The problem, though, with the Sadducees is this. They use that power for their own comfort. They use that power for their own control. They use that power for self-serving purposes. We looked then to the Herodians. The Herodians were another political faction, and they weren't necessarily priests, but they were political. And and the Herodians, basically, when when Rome was coming into town, they aligned themselves with Herod, who was the richest man in the world, puts Bill Gates to shame, uh, by the way, because he owns the spice trade. 
So the spice trade in that day um, just makes apple, IB, you know, apple, window, I don't care who you are, puts them to shame. So they align with him in order to stay into some kind of power and life, and they figure, hey, listen, we can have God and we can have the world too. We can have Hellenism. We can have the best of both worlds. And now that's great in the fact that we get to be in the world and we see what it is and we can see its good things and its bad things, see the world for what it's worth. However, I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle when I'm in the world a little too much. Right? My uh, iPhone controls me. My notifications create anxiety in me <laughs> because I have FOMO. Right? I have a complete fear of missing out. Right? I bend to the altar of oftentimes culture. So while I am in the culture, like the Herodians, sometimes like the Herodians, I get carried away. But see, the Sadducees and the Herodians, they'll be close, but they're still a little different. Well, there was another faction, and these are the Zealots. These are the ones who, like the Maccabees, drive out. The, they, they, they're going to fight. They're going to do something. They're passionate. I love about the zealots. What I love about zealots is this. They actually care. How many of you have like, ever been in, an, in just a moment where you were like, I wish, somebody, I wish you would just care? Right? I wish you would care enough to actually argue with me. I wish you would care enough to be involved. Well, that's not the problem with the zealots. Maccabeans in their revolution and re revolt against the, the Seleucids, like they took this small band army and drove an entire nation out of the city. That's what caring can do. However, zealots waged war and destruction oftentimes with the world's weapons. Right? They had no problem in their zeal pulling out a dagger. Some of them were called dagger men. Right? They had no problem. They, they lost potential in humanity. There was no chance of saving, saving a Roman centurion. They were the enemy. Right? The zealots. We have two more. The Pharisees. We hear most in, the, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John about the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were those who were completely devout. I mean, they were devout to God's word. They were devout to God's standard. Right? This is what we can, we can praise them for. We can be thankful. They, they loved God's law. They loved God's way so much so they would create laws around those laws in order to live just the right way. However, when we get so carried up in the law, we oftentimes can miss having compassion. We can miss what the law was actually really about, and it was to lead people to God. It wasn't to be their salvation. And so the Pharisees oftentimes got a bum rap, however, in trying to be religious and faithful and devout. Yeah, they got carried away. But man, there's something we can learn. Finally, we have the Essenes. The Essenes... Um, were, were folks who were oftentimes, there were priests, they, they had some of the best of like the Pharisees, they were completely devout, um, they were, some of them served in the temple like the Sadducees, uh, however, um, instead of being violent like zealots, they separated themselves. How many of you have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Right, we hear about that. This is, the Essenes were, that were a community like Qumran, 
that would separate themselves from the world, right, unlike the Herodians, because they thought the world was going to hell in a handbasket, okay, right? There was corruption in the, in the religious leaders, there's corruption in the church, and there's corruption in the world. Any of this sound familiar? So what am I going to do? I'm going to now dive into the world? No, I'm going to isolate myself from it. And they were very apocalyptic. That means they were anticipating Christ returning. And they couldn't wait because Christ was going to come with love. No, Christ was coming with judgment because he loved them and no one else. So they couldn't wait for God to return. All this history. Why would I waste my words this morning to talk about this story? Well, guess what? In the West, the Greco-Roman world is our world. We don't care about gods anymore. <laughs> right? We've taken it to an nth degree. They displaced the gods. They, today, we've removed them. Our culture here in the United States is a Western culture built upon the principles of Hellenism and Rome. And guess what? What do we hear in our political elections fighting about? Healthcare, education, right? And where do we get opinions and our ideas from? Actors, media correspondents, athletes. Entitled to their opinions, for sure. But folks, this is our culture. This is us. But see, Jesus loved, God loved the world so much when it finally got so united, probably the only time that culture and life was as united was at the Tower of Babel, where at Babel, they, were, they built up this huge tower to think that they could reach God and look at how good we are, that God confuses their language because they are so united and he's like, listen, this ain't going to work. At this moment where, where there is a, a moment in history where we're united around me being the end of all things in this one nation, Rome, this one empire, God says, I'm going to love you enough to tell you that, that you are not the end. And if you are the end, it's utterly hopeless. And you are utterly helpless. Because I'm coming into the world to save you from you. You can't do it alone. You need me. For God so loved the world. Right? That there is a kingdom, not an empire. There is a king on a throne who reigns. That as we know from history, Rome is no longer around, is it? But Jesus is sitting on a throne that endures forever and ever and ever. God so loved the world. But also God so loved his people that when his people were so fractured, so disconnected, think about the church in America. Are we not these things, these ideals? Are we not fractured and messed up and, and we've, we've lost the message of Jesus because we're too worried about my position and the comfort I get? Man, let me tell you, as a Sadducee, as a priest, I know we don't like those terms, but as a priest, like I believe in the priesthood of believers, but I also believe in spiritual leadership. The Bible teaches us about that. But my role is not for myself, my own comfort, and how can I manipulate you to get what I want? 
And yet, man, do we see that? Amen? It exists. You see that in me, you come talk to me. Because I don't want that. Right? How often do we see Herodians? How, how, listen, all of us, raise your hand. If you got a phone in your pocket, you drove a car here, <laughs> we're like, welcome to Herodian life. We are mixing culture, God trying to figure it out. Amen, right? Some of these, you might be all of them. Some of them, you might be some of them. But, man, we are all that one. Zealots. We may, we may not be fighting with daggers, but we fight with social media. Weapon of the world. Right? We fight with our Twitter accounts. We think we're going to win the fight, right? That, that's, my, that's my zeal for the Lord. But I don't mind destroying you in the process. I mean, think about the Pharisees. How often the church, we just had a series where we talked about freedom. We're free, we're free in Christ from this legalism, right? That the standard is set so high. We worship the standard and we stop worshiping God. The Essenes, the communities of faith that say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be completely separate. Jesus is just going to come one day, and, and I'm just, I keep praying. Yes, I want Jesus to come. But listen, I'm a part of this world. Right? God loved his community. He said, I don't want a fractured community because my, if my community is fractured, how can they be a light to the world? So Jesus becomes the lightning round. He is the fullness. All of Israel in its history has been filled up. The 7-7 has come. The 14, the, the appointed one, the anointed one, Jesus, has arrived. God is bringing his jubilee. And this is good news. This was the perfect moment of God. And if God can show up in this and Jesus promises he'll, he will return like we talked about last week, then we know we can take his promise to the bank because he fulfills those promises over and over again. But what does this mean for us in the meantime? As promised, I brought you to Romans 5. I mentioned we come back. And Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Three quick highlights. Paul says, if we've been justified, we've been made right with God, we have peace with God, Right? That we are not enemies of God. God is for us, not against us. We, we have shalom with him. There is this year of jubilee has come for us. We are in right standing. And this is then second, a grace of God. This is the unmerited favor of God. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We can't get it out of our own power. It was his deciding. So we stand in peace with God, in the grace of God. And what? We have hope in the glory of God, which is looking forward, Paul says. The hope that the one who has come will come. And that hope isn't a whim. It's not a wish. Right? We have that. But then he says this. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. We glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. 
And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he's given us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Folks, we don't celebrate our suffering, but Paul says this. If we're in Christ, if we're with Christ, if we have peace with Christ, if we stand in his grace, if we're in him, that God, the good news is, will redeem our suffering. If I could sum that up, that God isn't going to let our suffering win. And in fact, in redeeming and taking back our suffering, he produces perseverance. How many of you, if you have endured suffering, if you've faced it, and you felt God carry you through that, it brought about a single-mindedness. It helped you see what was important and what wasn't. Amen? Anyone? Right? That's, that's what Paul is talking about. That, that in, in this, that God, one of the ways God redeems this, this perseverance we receive, is a single-mindedness. We start to begin to understand what's important and what's not. When we're going through it, that's one of the ways God redeems that suffering doesn't intend for it. We don't glory for it. No, by no means. Christ died for us, for the suffering, the sin of the world. But there is a perseverance that God equips us with. And that perseverance then gives us character. Character means testedness in this case. And if you've been through it, you know you've been through it, Right? There's something, having gone through it, there's something, especially when we're in Christ, that we, we know a, a greater ability of God, not a lesser ability of God. Right? When we're in Christ and we know he's held on to us and he, and he holds on to us. When we, we're in Christ and he know he strengthens us and, and is there with us in it. Yes, he came perfect timing. And yes, he'll come perfect timing. But he shows up in my moments. He cares enough. Man, now you can't take this God away. I don't care how much the empire throws my way, but it doesn't. It fails to compare to him. And you know, when I know who this one is, I know I'm not the center of the story, and praise God, I don't have to be. Whew. Not only does that perseverance develop that kind of testedness and character, but God then again anchors us more deeply in our hope. And our hope is what? Again, not a wish or a whim. It's anchored deeply in the one, yes, who has come, but the one that we know continues to show up in our moments. Right, Jesus' promise for us was this in John 16. I told you these things. This is right before he was crucified, the night before. I've told you these things so that in me you may have, what? Peace. Not just peace with God, but now peace in. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's where our hope and our peace lies. Not in the middle, not, not, not in what we're facing. But in the one who is with us in it and carries us through. Finally, Paul would say this in Romans 8. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Again, we don't know how in whatever way that God is going to work and we can't make sense of all the ways of God and all the ways that Satan's working to steal, kill, and destroy. We, we can't make sense of that. But this passage reminds us 
that God is going to redeem every moment and every circumstance and is going to keep fighting for you no matter what. And even if death wins, God's going to keep fighting for you so much that death doesn't win and he's going to restore you to him. That's the good news. That there is not a circumstance, a situation, as Paul will say in verses following. Not heights nor depths, angels nor demons that can separate you from God's love. As much as God has come into the world at perfect, a perfect time and moment, as much as there will be perfect timing when he returns, he cares about every moment, every story in a genealogy and every story in this room and every story in this world cares enough to continue to show up through his spirit and through his love. Let's pray. God, thanks for history. So often we, we bypass it and we, we, uh, we're so enwrapped in life. I mean, life is busy and full and we're, we miss the stories that got us to where we are today. We miss the stories that made the world what it is. We, we miss the stories not only in our families and our lives, but we miss the stories of others and the impact they have. Thank you that we could have this moment this morning where we could just dive a little bit more into the story of humanity the story of your son Jesus which we're a part of the story of. God thank you that as much as you came into that world for the right time it had been filled up it was ready your purposes were to be there and, and as much as we know there is a time to come where you're going to come God I'm just going to pray this morning that you keep showing each of us that you care about these moments in between because you, you, you cared about every other name in that genealogy. You showed up in all of their lives in ways to, to show them that you were there and that you did care and love them and that you were guiding them and there to be with them. And in the same way, God, you continue to show up in our moments. Our hope is not, God, anchored in something that is, is an idea somewhere. It's anchored in the reality of what you've already shown us over and over again that you will not leave us and you never forsake us. So God, bring a peace within us because we have peace with you today. Anchor us deeply in your hope, strengthen us in it, and breathe your life into us through your spirit whom you've gifted to us out of your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we rejoice in that gospel message and we invite you to stand and sing with us as we sing for joy. Sinners reconciled Joyful all ye nations
light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. with God. We stand in the grace of God. And we have the hope of his glory. And it's through Christ that we are able to have that peace within. So my prayer for you today is that that peace wells up in your hearts and in your lives, is confidence for you, is strength for you. Go now with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his smile upon you, and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's children said, amen. Go in peace. And if you don't mind stacking a few chairs, we'd appreciate it.